Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about part three of our deep dive into a game publishing agreement. A form of game publishing agreement, if you aren't aware, was put out there on the internet at the end of 2020 by video game publisher Raw Fury, to which we continue our thanks. And in fact, we want to thank them for actually tweeting out this series, telling people to come check it out as read through by an actual lawyer. And while I don't quite have this amount of gray hair yet, I am nonetheless very appreciative of Raw Fury, letting people know that we are out here in virtual legality looking at their document. Now, we are going to be looking at that document. This is a long-form series, so if you missed the first couple of parts, we've already talked about who owns the intellectual property in the game, which is going to be the developer, what obligations the developer has to deliver the game, which are primarily focused around a final delivery date. You can check out those earlier videos in what will be ultimately a 10-part playlist here on YouTube called A Lawyer Reads a Game Publishing Agreement. But today, we're going to start talking about the publisher obligations, Raw Fury's obligations, and that's really going to take up the bulk of part three and part four. Today, marketing the game, and in the next part of the series, funding the game, which is, I'm sure, what a lot of developers are maybe the most interested in. How does the money come in? How do we owe it back? And that's going to be a very interesting discussion. But in terms of what they are going to do, the people in their offices that aren't just wiring funds and are going to be helping to sell this game, marketing is effectively as important as delivering the game, which might sound shocking to folks that are really focused on designing a really great video game, but half of this is all in the marketing. It's one of the reasons you're going to be paying Raw Fury or some other publisher to do the job. What does that job entail? Well, let's dive in. Now, before we do, you will see that there is a lot of color on your screen right now. The marketing provision is very important. This is where most of the operational obligations of the publisher take place. So basically every word is highlighted in different colors, but hopefully as we walk through this, you'll be able to see exactly what's happening. We'll break it down a little bit and maybe make it just a little bit easier to understand. So we start out with one of the main obligations. Publisher shall be the exclusive publisher of the game and be responsible for the distribution of the game in the territory. Now, you see that word exclusive. We've talked about that before as we've gone through this agreement. What's important to note there is that they are exclusive to everyone else, including the developer. So once you sign this agreement, the publisher is going to be the only one allowed to publish this video game. And then the next sentence pops in, and this is going to frighten you if you're on the developer side, and it says publisher is not obligated to make or continue to make the game commercially available. So the publisher says you sign up to this agreement and we are the only ones that can publish this game through the lifetime of the agreement. We'll see in term and termination as we get further in this series that the agreement can end and rights can revert and things along those lines, but that the publisher isn't required to make the game commercially available. They're the only ones that can do it. They don't have to do it. And that's where we start talking about those elements of trust and sitting across the table from someone because we can set everything up to make sense in a contract. And this contract makes sense. This is a contract that I like. I have my qualms with certain provisions and certain things that I would see negotiated, as you can tell, if you've listened to the first two parts of this series. But overall, this is an agreement that is fair to both publisher and developer. And I like what Raw Fury has done here. That being said, publisher still has these certain provisions that say we don't have to do something if it's not going to make commercial sense to us 
but we've built this agreement, this one that Hoaglot Virtual Legality likes, to align our interests. Both developer and publisher get in the same boat. We make 50-50 of the profits at the end of the day. And when you know that that is in fact the case, that's how we make our money, that's how you make your money, then we're both pointed in the same direction and you can have that element of trust a little bit more easily than if you had a lot of provisions running against you and a lot of lack of trust in just the way that the contract was written. So while I've highlighted that in red, and it's certainly something that you should keep in mind, that the publisher doesn't have to publish the game. They could decide that you're bad for business or that it's not making any sense to publish it anymore. You could want to see it be released and published for another year after they choose to take it down off the storefronts or from the physical copies. Even with your desire to do that, if you're on the development side, the publisher can say, no, no, it doesn't make any sense anymore. And maybe at that point we negotiate an exit or do something else. Publisher also has the exclusive right to market the game, which makes sense. That's what you're paying the publisher to do if you're on the development side. And developer entrusts and grants to publisher the right to determine in its sole discretion the manner and method of marketing and distribution of the game. So that's the main give here, right? You've given, if you're the developer, the publisher is the exclusive publisher. Publisher has the exclusive right to market the game. And as the publisher determines, including but not limited to the total and maximum marketing expenditures, advertising and promotion, packaging, channels of distribution, and the suggested retail price of the game. So that's the overall thrust of this. You say, weren't we going to talk about publisher obligations, Rick? These all sound like things that the developer has given to the publisher. But as we talked about when we were talking about who owns the game and the license rights that the developer has to give to the publisher to have the publisher be able to do any of this, this is kind of similar to that concept. If you want the publisher to go and publish and market the game, then you have to give the publisher certain things. In this case, you've given them an exclusive right, the exclusive right to publish and to market in what manner they determine, including but not limited to. That's a phrase we've talked about in virtual legality before. So this list is not to be considered exhaustive but more illustrative of what's happening here, including marketing, expenders, advertising and promotion, packaging, channels of distribution, and whatnot. And we get to an overall right that looks like the publisher has all these things. And then we get to the language provided, however, that, which means the publisher is going to have some obligations in order to keep all of this stuff and for the developer to not have some kind of claim against them that would be appearing later on in the agreement. So what does publisher have to do? because they're the exclusive publisher, they're the exclusive marketer, what do they have to do? It says, publishers shall, in good faith and to the extent reasonable, involve developer in any plans in connection with determining the manner and method of marketing and distribution of the game. So this is the first thing, the first give that's to the developer. Hey, we're going to involve you. You're going to get a seat at the table. You get to participate in the conference calls. We don't just take your game and go off into the darkness and out pops a marketing plan. You get to talk to us about what that looks like, even though... The overall power is going to rest in Raw Fury's hands. They want that overall power. They're in the business of marketing and publishing video games. Frankly, if you were to come to me in my office and say, is this okay, Rick? I'd say, well, if you like Raw Fury, it is. And to some extent, you're entering into an agreement with them because you like what they do and they can show you some successes and they presented you some PowerPoint slides. And that all happened on the business side before you started looking at the legal document. And if you like what they do, then to some extent, Raw Fury looks at you in the eye and says, yeah, if you like what we do, then you got to let us do it but we will let you have a seat at the table. Further, publishers shall, to the extent possible, accommodate any reasonable concerns or requests from developer raised during said involvement. Great. If publisher believes that they improve marketing and distribution of the game, that's important, and if accommodating said concerns or requests falls within the minimum 
marketing guarantee. So we got a couple of things happening here and I want to break them down a little bit. So first you see in blue a couple of things. First, developer gets a seat at the table if publisher in good faith can make that seat at the table happen to the extent reasonable. So publisher doesn't have to go out of its way to make sure that developer is put on every email and participates in every Zoom call. It's just to the extent reasonable to keep updates, to make sure developer feels a part of the process. Publisher ultimately gets to determine that. Again, certain amount of trust there, but some amount of trust is always going to be uh, pertinent to these kinds of documents. And then publisher shall accommodate the, re the requests or concerns of developer to the extent possible. So once again, you have another bit of language here from a legal perspective that says publisher shall try to accommodate these things, but they get to determine that it's not possible to do whatever you ask for. You've got a new game, you want hot air balloons all over the River Thames, and Raw Fury says, you know, we tried out a hot air balloon marketing campaign. It just didn't work out. We don't think it's possible. Very, very expensive. And so we're not going to do that. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. We don't think it's possible. We also don't know that it would improve marketing and distribution of the game. So that's another reason. And also, even if we did think that, even if we thought, okay, yes, some kind of laser engraving on the moon would probably be good marketing for your space shooter, it's probably not going to fall within our marketing guarantee amount. So it has to be something we believe in. It has to be possible. And here's this blue and it has to fall within the minimum marketing guarantee, which if we go back to the definition section, you always want to have this up when you are looking at these kinds of concepts is an amount set at some number that we negotiate, which publisher commits to spending as a minimum on marketing and distribution activities as determined by the publisher. So when you go and you read a provision like this, now that's actually a minimum, so it's not the greatest fit for what we're talking about here. It suggests that they get to say, okay, we agreed to spend 50 grand on this. Here's what we want to spend on it. You want your laser engraved moon item, and that's going to cost more than we've guaranteed to spend on marketing. And so we're not going to do that. We're not going to accommodate that request because it's too expensive. Now, at that point in time, if everybody agrees that it's a great idea, the minimum marketing guarantee isn't high enough. There are things that you can do. You can sit around that table and amend this agreement. You can negotiate for it. But outside of that, the publisher, Raw Fury, reserves the right to really determine the direction of the marketing campaign. And again, I sit here and say, that makes sense. That's what you're paying them for. That's their expertise. Your expertise is in designing levels and making art and making great video games. Their expertise is in selling these things. If you don't believe that, you shouldn't be entering into the agreement in the first place. If you do believe that, this probably doesn't bother you that much. The second thing that they basically promise in the provided however portion is that publisher shall use commercially reasonable efforts to ensure the game will be released within three months of delivery of the gold master to publisher by developer. So as we talked about in part two of this series, developer has the obligation to deliver a final version of the game by some date certain. And the publisher says, okay, we have that copy and we commit to release it within three months of receipt from you. We're not going to just hold it and put it on a shelf somewhere, which is a reasonable concern for a video game developer, right? Sure, they got some advance money from Raw Fury, and sure, they got some money to live on while they made this video game, but the real money, the reason that they are in this endeavor at all is to go and sell it to the marketplace, and you enter into a relationship with a publisher, and to some extent, yeah, publishers, you don't have a provision like this. They could put it on a shelf. They could figure out when it was totally best for them or they just don't like it or they don't think it makes sense to have a marketing spend on and they could do bad things. 
But Raw Fury has these protections in this document. We're going to talk about minimum marketing guarantee a little bit more in just a second that are designed to give the developers some comfort. And I'm glad to see them. Now, I did skip a little bit of language here, as you probably noted if you're reading along, that said publisher commits to that three-month window unless agreed in writing between developer and publisher. So, and this is a little bit of unnecessary legal language, not that it's wrong here, uh, but you can always amend an agreement as we just talked about. So you could always agree in writing between all the parties to a document to change something. This just highlights that that might be something that is necessary. This is signaling in the document that Raw Fury thinks this has happened before. It'll probably happen again. Three months might not make sense because you made a space shooter and for whatever reason, every week within that three-month three, three window has space shooters released by Activision and Electronic Arts and Blizzard. And it's just not a great time to release your space shooter. They try to cover that a little bit with a for the avoidance of doubt piece of language that says a typical delay could be to align the game launch to the launch of a new platform to increase marketing exposure. You've got this space shooter. There's not going to be any games that are available for the Xbox Series X or the PlayStation 5, or so goes the theory here. And so we're going to release it that week because people are going to be looking for something fun to play. Hey, maybe we can, can put some voxels in or some ray tracing. It'll be great. We'll aim it at that release window, and we think that'll maximize your revenue. Note, however, that Raw Fury, unlike this A section, is really bound by the developer here. The developer and the publisher have to agree to something outside of that three-month window. Now, if you've hired Raw Fury to be your publisher, chances are you should be listening to them strategically when they say, actually, five months would be better here, and you'll agree to it as the developer. But it might be a situation where your cash flow is so weak and you just don't want to agree to more than that three months. This is the deal. And basically, Raw Fury would have to go along with it unless some other provision of the agreement kicks in. Now, before we continue to the next page, I do want to comment a little bit on the for the avoidance of doubt language. This is a bit of language that my old mentor, when I was first learning the law 15 some odd years ago, used to harp on as something he liked to see out of every agreement. Now, I don't have as big of a problem with it as he does, but it's important to note that it doesn't do anything. The legal operative language here is the first sentence. That's what's happening. And then for the avoidance of doubt is effectively a clarifying phrase that is trying to highlight what we mean by these things, but doesn't actually change the legal rights or obligations of the parties. It's one of the reasons my old school mentor, who I love dearly, didn't like this language at all, would strike it from every single document that he got coming in that I might have drafted for him. And so I thought I would highlight it here because it doesn't really change the operation of the section. Now, what's the biggest thing that the publisher actually promises to do here? That's as follows. Publisher agrees to spend at least the minimum marketing guarantee on activities that publisher determines at publisher's sole discretion to be the manner and method of marketing and distribution of the game. So we're going to talk about this language a little bit, but the primary thing you should take away here is that they've agreed to spend this money. That's why guarantee exists in the definition. So when you go and you look and you negotiate this number, this is the publisher promising not only not to put it on the shelf, that it'll be released within three months or something else that we might agree to in writing, but that we will also spend X amount of dollars trying to get this thing sold for you. And this is a very useful thing for a developer. This is one of the things that I think is very nice about the way this agreement is already structured. In general, when you've got a marketing arrangement with a publisher or somebody else, if you're in an entirely different industry, one of the things you have to be really careful about is making sure that they have to do 
what you think they have to do in the agreement, which is a funny sounding way of saying it. But if they just say, hey, yeah, we're going to market this thing and they don't commit to commercially reasonable efforts to market it, best efforts to market it, all these efforts, some number of hours or here, some minimum amount of spend, you are always going to have this nebulous obligation on the other side of the table. So here, Raw Fury gets in front of it and they say, look, we promise to spend this amount of money. And when we get to funding the game and splitting the profits, we will see how they get that money back. We'll see how they get all the money back that we're going to talk about in these various sections as part of the economics of the transaction. But this is publisher's obligation. They're going to spend that money. Now, in terms of the language here, there's one thing I don't like. So they get to determine how the game is to be marketed. We really saw that up above. This is kind of a belt and suspenders or extra bit of language that highlights the fact that they get all of these choices into manner and method of marketing and distributing the game. But here the language kind of lets us down a little bit if we're on the developer side, because what I thought was going to be said, that publisher determines to be the manner and method of marketing, doesn't do anything extra. I would have hoped to see here that publisher agrees to spend the minimum on activities that publisher determines to be the best manner and method of marketing and distribution of the game, because this is tautological. Whatever the publisher determines is the manner and method of marketing is in fact what they determined, right? We didn't get anything extra here. We get the minimum guarantee, which is what we want, but I would love to see it say, okay, you are at least pledging that you've thought about this, you've strategized about it, and it's going to be the best version of marketing in your sole discretion. We're not going to take away that language. So that gives you a lot of protection if you're raw fury, but we don't see that language here. That's the kind of thing that I would see changed if I was negotiating this deal on the part of a developer. Continuing with the agreement, developers shall cooperate and support publisher in its efforts. In its efforts to do what? Well, we've got a whole long legal list here to produce, reproduce, perform, promote, advertise, export, import, rent, license, sublicense, translate, localize, manufacture, package, market, produce, merchandise, distribute through any channels, including electronic distribution by download, display, sell, lease, and otherwise exploit the game. Otherwise, exploit's doing all the work there, so this list actually isn't 100% necessary, but it's totally the way law uh, documents are written. No problem there. Including any ancillary products on the platform. You see the capital A, you see the capital P, you know that's a defined term. It's one we talked about in part one, but just as a reminder, when we're talking about ancillary products in this agreement, we're talking about strategy guides. We're talking about music and comics and books, the things that relate specifically to the game that are ancillary to it. And so we go back around here and we see that developers going to help them out because the publisher can market this stuff, but they're still going to need things like assets and interview time and people showing up to help with the marketing plan. So developers committing to help them out. It's controlled by developer and production of assets needed for various marketing tasks. So publisher says, okay, we're going to spend this amount of money. We get to decide what it looks like. We'll bring you to the table. We'll listen to you. We'll release the game within three months, but you have to help us out. And again, that makes sense. Now, if you were really pushing for a developer-friendly agreement here, you might say, yes, we'll help, but it'll be during business hours. We'll set some limitations here. If it's outside of business hours, if there's travel involved, we might set expenses or other kinds of requirements. And that's a part of the negotiation process. It depends on what your sensitivities are as a publisher, depends on what your sensitivities are as a developer. But you have that discussion because this is a template form. Everybody has them. Everybody that gets into a specific line of business has a form they like to use. They're all negotiated. They're all negotiated to be specific to your circumstance, to your sensitivities, to what the game is, to what marketing the game might look like. But at the end of the day, this still makes sense. Why? 
because they're going to get in the boat together. They're pointed in the same direction. Profit for one means profit for the other. And we can basically trust that economic incentive structure to keep everybody aligned. Worth noting, the very last section of this royalties or, or marketing provision is that neither party makes any guarantee of success with respect to revenue to be achieved or royalties to be earned from the game. And that's important, right? Both sides need to be aware that, hey, we're entering into this because we think we're going to produce something that the market is going to value, that's going to be a great video game, that our marketing is going to work. We're all going to make money on it. We don't enter into this agreement if we don't think that, but... You don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know when a pandemic's going to pop up. You don't know when the entire market is going to shift away from first-person shooters and just really love match three puzzle games. And it's just not going to work in your favor. There's a certain amount of luck involved with bringing any product to market. And so both sides say, yeah, we know you have an obligation to market it. We have an obligation to develop it. We're going to talk about funding the game. We're going to talk about splitting the profits. But nobody's making a promise that there will be any profits to split. Now, the next section is a lot lighter, right? That's the publisher's main obligation. But this is another section of this agreement that I think is very uh, nice to see if you're in the developer's shoes. It is the understanding of both developer and publisher that credits and featuring should center more or as much on developer rather than publisher. Developer shall submit on-screen credits for the game to publisher for publisher's approval, okay, but which approval shall not be unreasonably withheld. So the developer gets to pick how the credits look and submit them to publisher's approval. And, and publisher gets a sign-off, right? But they're not allowed to just make crazy requests. They're not allowed to unreasonably withhold their consent. So we've already got a situation here where Raw Fury is, like they have done in other sections of their agreement, signaling that they want the developer to feel like a partner. They want it to be mutually understood that publisher and developer are in this together. And this is nice stuff. This is the stuff that you want to see if you're on the developer side. And I can't argue with the way it's presented. Similarly, in the next sentence, publisher shall accord credit to developer as developer with at least as much prominence as publisher on all printed materials related to the game, including without limitation on front of the package in the manual and advertising materials, which shall contain developer's logo. So when you think about this, right, you're going to have a Raw Fury logo on the box or on the web page or wherever else you might see reference to this game that you're making if you're the developer. And they promise that basically developer and publisher will be treated at least as equals, if not more towards the developer than the publisher. And again, this is important, especially for a small company, a company trying to establish its presence to have an agreement that says, people are going to know that we made this. It's not just ego. It's not just narcissism. You're trying to build a brand. Goodwill, equity in your name is one of the really important things when you're breaking into an industry, when you're trying to establish that presence in the industry and Raw Fury comes out here and says, yeah, we understand that. We understand that you want to have people know that you made this thing and we're going to put it in black and white in the agreement. They continue by saying developers website address shall be displayed on the back of the package in all marketing or promotional materials of relevance. We're going to point people to you and the game user manual and ancillary products shall all be credited to both of us, developer and publisher alike. So we're going to market this thing. We're going to guarantee that we're going to spend money on marketing this thing. You're going to help us out and the credits are going to keep you, developer, fully affixed to what this game actually is. So that's the overall kind of marketing component of what the publisher is going to put together, their obligations under their agreement. But I wanted to drag in one additional section for a couple of reasons. This is called service spend. And those couple of reasons are as follows. One, 
Some of this service spend is going to be on marketing activities. We're going to look at the definition in just a second. So this goes along with the publisher obligation to coordinate marketing and to get this game out in front of eyeballs. You might look at the chapter list and say, well, it probably fits a little bit under funding the game. And I would agree with you. Funding the game already has, I believe, four or five sections that we're going to discuss at that portion of this series. So I wanted to separate it out a little bit just to make things a little bit more even. And so we didn't have an hour and a half or two hour version of one of these episodes. So a few things going on there. But as we look at the definition of service spend, we will see that it covers things like marketing. So service spend is a maximum amount up to the sum of X amount of dollars negotiated as you talk through this with Raw Fury to be spent by publisher on additional services for the game up to its release date, including but not limited to quality assurance, localization, voiceover, age rating, platform verification, platform developer kits, porting the game. So all things really related to development and making sure that it can get out there, but also team travel to events, fan events, and public relations. So they're going to spend money on marketing above and beyond the minimum guarantee But this service spend that is more specifically related to actually producing the game has some different rules applied to it and how they get the money back. So let's take a look at that. Publisher and developer shall mutually determine the service spend based on publisher's recommendation. Now, chances are this sentence is unnecessary uh, because the definition section of the agreement itself has a spot for the number. So this will have to have been agreed to by the time these parties sign the document. But either way, you can see the process. Publisher is going to recommend, all right, we're going to need this much money to do as service spend. We'll agree to it. It goes in writing somewhere, probably in that definition section. And then that amount of money we spend and what happens to it, publisher will deduct the service spend from gross revenue until 100% of the service spend has been recovered. Now we have to kind of put a pin in this and remember to think about it when we're talking about splitting the profits and how the funding gets back in the next couple of sections of this video series. But for right now, what's important to note is that this is money that publisher spends that publisher gets back out of those first dollars. So there's a portion of money that publisher is going to get back once the game starts selling into the marketplace, and it's going to essentially recoup the expenses that it used to get this game out there and into the market before it winds up in a 50-50 position, sharing those profits with the developer itself. Because if we think about it, if you had to spend it to do quality assurance, even to market it, then those were expenses related to getting it out into the marketplace. So those aren't really profits when you're thinking about it from the publisher's perspective until you get that money back. And that's going to include things like advances and other things we're going to talk about in future parts of this series. Actual money spent on services may be lower than the defined service spent. And in such instance, only actual money spent on services shall be recovered according to this section. That's important, right? You can get into trouble here with some nefarious actors as well. They say, okay, we've agreed that service spend will be $100,000, but we got a couple of deals. We only had to spend 45,000 to actually get to the place where we needed to be. Who gets that $55,000? Well, they say, well, it's not going to come straight back to us. We don't get credit for money we didn't actually spend. We're not going to steal from you. Another nice provision in this agreement. They want to reiterate this whole, it comes off the top again, with no revenue is shared with developer until service spend has been fully recovered by publisher. We don't share the profits until we get this money back. So it's an important 
kind of framework for money. If publisher believes an increase is needed to service spend, we get a little bit further down the line and oh man, PlayStation certification process is just taking longer than we thought it would. We're gonna need to submit it another couple of times. We're gonna need more money. It shall inform developer in writing and request an adjustment. We're gonna need more money on this. Developer's concerned about that because developer says, hey, all that money comes off the top. We need to make sure we don't blow all our revenue on things like service spend. Developers shall not unreasonably deny such a request if it is suggested in good faith by publisher, which we have to assume it would be, with the purpose to increase potential revenue and exposure of game and allow publisher to fully perform publisher's duties as set forward in this agreement. So again, we have this kind of scenario where unlike just talking about the three-month window, developer can't unreasonably withhold its consent if Raw Fury was acting in good faith. They're not just lying to steal money on service spend or whatever else it might be. And they truly believe it will help increase the potential revenue and exposure of the game. Developer has to go along with it. And this is the kind of area where it depends on your sensitivities. A developer might look at this and say, okay, do we get some kind of qualification on this? Yeah, all right, we have to go around along with an increase until it's 110%, 125%. And then this whole unreasonably denied thing comes off the table and we have to actually sit at, sit at the same conference room table and decide what this number is going to be because we are taking dollars directly off our revenue share. And those are the kinds of conversations you'll be able to have with Raw Fury or whatever other publisher you're talking through something like this with as part of the negotiations when you're putting together this agreement. This may include allowing publisher to fully service the territory and platform to the full extent of any external requirements imposed on the game, including but not limited to language requirements, quality requirements, platform adherence requirements, rating requirements, and other territorial or platform-specific requirements. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is the kind of including but not limited to language we've seen elsewhere in the agreement. But Raw Fury is trying to set your brainscape in the right place and say, okay, what we're really talking about here is not so much we screwed up or we want to go to more fan events or we want to handle PR differently, but that a third party, PlayStation, the country of Austria, whatever it might be, actually needs something extra that we didn't know about. That when we were talking about what the service spend should be and we itemized what the invoice would look like for you, we didn't know that they would change their quality requirements in such a way. We didn't know that this country would actually require two more languages because they adopted two more official languages before we talked all of this through. And so we're going to need to be able to increase that. And you're going to accept that increase if it's not crazy. And again, all this makes sense, but it all goes part and parcel with the publisher's obligations. They're going to help get this thing across the finish line with service spend, with their minimum marketing guarantee. They're going to promise to make sure that you're credited properly. They're going to approve anything that isn't unreasonable with the way that you want to describe your credits, all for the sake of getting a game out there to the market which ends our chapter three of this series. On the next chapter, we're going to be talking about money changing hands, which I know is one of those areas where everybody is very, very interested. Here, because this is a development and publishing agreement we are reviewing, the publisher is actually going to pay for portions of the development and seek to get that money back again, really before those profits are shared. So we're going to see how that all looks in the Raw Fury document in part four of the series. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this, please check out our earlier videos in this series or tell people that we are having this conversation. Again, we give our thanks to Raw Fury for putting our name out there, telling folks that we are discussing their form of publishing agreement in this space in Virtual Legality. If you enjoy conversations of business and law surrounding video games or movies or music or other forms of pop culture, 
please do subscribe, like, ring bells, tell folks that we are here because we are having these conversations all the time. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.